A couple of weeks ago now, some of you will remember in, when we had Building in Spirit, how I opened up my Bible, we came for a night of prayer to pray about our nation. And God arrested me as we opened up Song of Solomon. God, that book became very, very alive as I began to read some verses from Song of Solomon. It came very alive inside my heart and I was, I would say, emotionally taken by, as I was reading these words, these words were reading me. Sometimes when you read the scriptures, the scriptures read you. And other times you just read the scriptures. In other words, sometimes you read black and white, but other times the content of the word comes alive and begins to read you. And then it's like a mirror. God shows you your heart in in the face of the beloved. Yes? And as I began to read Song of Solomon, I've read Song of Solomon many, many times since then. I've become very overwhelmed as I read this book. And so much so that when I try to talk about it, I get so emotional I want to cry. Now, that's okay. I'm not, I'm not adverse to crying in front of people, but I don't volunteer it neither. But if I'm overtaken and I understand that the Lord's overtaking me, I'll go with it. So when I went to Romania, uh, just before, I, I, a couple of weeks ago, I went to Romania to speak. I, and the Lord told me, I cannot speak this word over there. He said, and I said, why, Lord? He said, because it's not been worked out in you yet. Don't speak about something that hasn't been worked and proved inside you yet. So I said, okay, I left it. So then I prepared my messages to go to Romania, and then my memory stick all got corrupted. So it's like, okay, Lord, what do you want to do? What do you want to say? I get the message now. Don't speak about this. Don't speak about that. So when I went to Romania, it was fine, because I, I, I learned to draw out the well that's inside of me. So I don't panic anymore. Many years ago, I would have panicked. I would, I would have really panicked. But not now, because there's a well of living water inside of me that I want to talk about this well inside of you. But we're going to go on a journey. Is that okay? So we're still in the race, because in every race you still need to be hydrated. You still need fluids to take on board when you're in a race, more so because you struggle. You ha- the race highlights what fluids are not in there. So... Now I have the, the blessing of God to talk about Song of Solomon, but we're not going to go into Song of Solomon today. We're going to go into it in, in another time when we start talking. But because I know this is the time and the season for God to do a work in our hearts as a corporate, I want you to know that church, you are going under the microscope. I've talked to the Lord about this, and all Phil's talked to the Lord, Paul and Emma's talked to the Lord about this, and so we have the green light that God is going to bring us under the microscope as a house. Because this is the journey that we need to make. So get ready that God's going to, as you read the word, it's going to be magnified. And as you begin to read it and open it, you're going to see portions of scripture that you never once just passed by before. Now it's going to grab your attention. And God's going to highlight certain aspects of your thinking, your lifestyle, your, your, uh, your actions. God's going to start speaking to us corporately because, folks, we have to change. Change isn't always voluntary. Sometimes it's, it's implied and it's forced upon people. But this kind of change is where God works with you and you work with God. God won't force you. God will leave you to, to, in, your, in your thoughts, your actions. If you don't want to work with God, God say, okay, I'm still here. I'm eternal. I can wait here all your lifetime. But you haven't got that luxury. So we don't want to leave God waiting. We want to actually embrace God.
So we want to pursue God. That's what the race is all about. We're pursuing our lover. True? We're pursuing our lover. I would like, by the time we have finished our journey, for you to know and be in love with Jesus Christ like you've never, ever thought or even could imagine. Would you like that? To know him. To really know him. Not, know, just, not be just content knowing about him, but knowing him. Like, like, as if I can almost say, like, he's a real person. Of course he's a real person. But I want you to know him as a real person, a physical real person, not just a spiritual, invisible, but he's still real. So in Jeremiah chapter 2, I'll, t- I'll just turn in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. It says, my people have committed two sins. How many? They have forsaken me, the living, the spring, the living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. So my people, my people, not any people, not just anyone, my people, yes, have committed two sins. So they're in trouble. They've forsaken me. That's a bad thing when you're in relationship with God to forsake him. The second one, why? Because he's the spring of living water. Note that in your Bible. He is the spring of living water. In God, there is depths. There's rivers. There's depths. Amen? And we have dug, sorry, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, thank you, that cannot hold water. So we have living vessels that cannot hold or carry what God has already poured out. Can you see this? So God has given, the Bible says, God has given us everything for life and for godliness. Now, giving somebody something and then holding on to what you, has been given, two different things. Holding on to what God has given us is a very, very key factor. Some people can't even hold on to their salvation. Some people can't hold on to joy. Some people can't hold on to forgiveness. Have you noticed that? Ever been there? I've been one of them from time to time. And then you have to get, you have to repent and you have to get cleansed and you have to go through that. And it's a battle to get to those places. But hold on to them, you must. Because if you can't hold on to what God's given you, how can you advance? If I gave you, how many people when they win the lottery can't hold on to it? Why? Because when you give people things, it reveals their weaknesses and their in- incompetence. Yeah? That's why you don't give the keys to your son when he's a young age. Why? Because he can't handle that, that responsibility of driving a car. Now, as he gets older and, you, and he passes his test and he learns the, 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 you know, the rules of the road, then absolutely, it's not a risk. Or not as much as a risk. Let me re- clarify that. So... Let me just say this to you. Your connection between God and God's connection with you must be made secure. It must be made secure because things will come to disconnect you. Things will come around to try and challenge you and sever that connection. Have you noticed when you're in love, love comes under challenge at some point. Familiarity is a massive attack on love. True? And in our relationship with God, we must secure the connection between God and you. So that you can go beyond your struggles. 
so that you can go beyond your fears and your doubts in your relationship with the Father. Does that make sense? Now, all he asks of you is for you to become obedient. That's all he asks. This relationship between you and the Father must become primary above all other relationships. Now, all you want, all any parent wants is their children to become obedient. But how, look at the struggle we have. Look at the natural earthly struggle we have with our children being obedient to their parents' will. It's a fight, isn't it? Has anybody noticed their children's are little brats from time to time? Or are your children's angels? Well, I had angels, just, just a few. They, they, fought, they fell a few times, that's all. But I have to learn to be patient, be bigger than their failure. True? As a parent, I have to be prepared that I am well, more than capable of receiving their forgiveness and their apologies. And I can be bigger. Than, why? Because I'm the parent. I must have the capacity to forgive, to instruct, to teach, to keep on being an instructor to my children until they find their own ways. Is that not the case with your heavenly father? God's already built failure into his own DNA. He knows that we will be disobedient. But still, his heart and his primary focus is for you and I to walk as obedient children. He never settles for anything less. Though he knows you'll be disobedient, he always goes for obedience. True? You must know the nature of your father so that you know how to interact with him. God, if God as your father is always a stranger, then he can never be your father. Neither can you be that familiar with him that you treat him with discontent. So, two sins, it says, people have forsaken God, the spring of the living water, and they have dug their own cisterns. In other words, they've done their own thing, they've gone their own way, they've tried to, they've tried to bypass God, and what's happened is, as a result, they're fractured. They're dislocated. They are a weak, insipid people who have got faults and frailties. So they cannot hold what God has given to them. How many times could you be associated with this company of people? How many times have you felt cracked inside, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually? How many times has God given you things only for you not to be able to hold on to them? How many times, if we're being honest with ourselves, have we forsaken the one that we say we love? Come on. You know, if I treated Carol like I treat God sometimes, Carol wouldn't be around. Because what I mean by that is, how many weeks do we go without talking to God? How many weeks, days, months do we go without listening to God? Or even a big one in marriage, anyone who's married will understand. How many or how much time do I not spend trying to understand the one I love? God needs to be understood before he can be loved. God love you first. But in your understanding of God, you want you love him more. Because it's a gateway and a key to you knowing God, is the more you understand, the further you can walk with him. 
But if I never spent time, one of the biggest problems in all marriages is, is this communication of man doesn't understand woman, woman doesn't understand man. We are two complete weird beings. True? She's from Mars, we're from wherever. Jupiter, wherever it is. We come from two different planets. But no, we don't. Only in our thinking do we come. I mean, I've lived with this lady now for 34 years, come to 35, and I think I just understand a little bit more today than I did the day I first met her. She's still strange. She still does weird things. Now, she's not in this room to defend herself, and she would say, I am weird. But guess what? In her strange complexity, I love her. I love her. And I love her more. Why? Because I spend time trying to understand her. And I say, God, only you understand this. No wonder you put man to sleep when you created her. There's no way you'd have ever got that one by him had he stayed awake. Can you imagine, Adam? He went to sleep, woke up married. That is an amazing, amazing thing for any man. And God says, you need her. You need this woman. Yeah, but I didn't even get to choose. She's the one you need. It was an arranged marriage right there. That's why he's called... That's why she's called woman. Whoa, man. (laughs) What is this about? What is this gift you've given me? Spend time understanding her. And as you understand her, you'll understand me, the one who created. Amen? Two major areas that most Christians struggle with, and it's sad, but it's very true, is most Christians struggle to hear God. I don't struggle hearing God. I don't struggle hearing Carol. I have problems listening to her. Come on. I don't have a problem hearing her. My ears work. I don't have a problem hearing Carol. I have a problem listening to her. And vice versa. I don't have a problem hearing God. You're hearing God now. But are you listening to what God is saying? This is the key. So many Christians who can't hear God, they're in trouble right from the word go. Do you expect God to just jump out and stand in front of the traffic lights and say, Green! Red! God doesn't work like that. God speaks from the inside. God speaks from the inside. God speaks through the spirit of my mind. And God speaks through the recreated spirit. Amen? So I've got to learn to train myself to his voice. Because I'm the one who's going to benefit if I can hear this voice. But if I can't hear this voice, how can I go deeper into God? Because there's going to be weeks, months, you're not going to hear his voice. And it's okay. It's not, it's not that he stopped speaking. You have to learn to feed and drink from what was already been spoken. That's a key. You have to learn to feed yourself and drink from what has already been spoken and poured into you. Do you understand that? God may not speak to you every day. But God has spoken to you and what he's spoken to you will feed you and nourish you if you can hear him and take it in. That's why you have to be a storehouse. So you can feed on what God has said. Because you'll go through barren times. You'll go through wildernesses. But if you can hold on to what's already been spoken, you'll get through. Most Christians can't do that. Most Christians can't do that. Why? Because they've never been discipled. They don't know how to drink from 
They don't know how to go deep and drink from a well. If they're not, if you haven't got church, you know, if, if most Christians don't have church on a Sunday, they're gone. They really are gone. I'm digressing deliberately to tell you this story. Before I went to Romania, I watched a video on China. The, the, uh, the, the church in China is what we call an underground church. Underground doesn't mean they all hide underground. An underground church means they, they hide in secrets because the authorities have made it a law that they can't meet. So people secretly meet in houses and places like this. And this guy who went, and I know the pastor, so it's a waste of time me telling you that. But I know the guy, and, and he meets it. And he meets three, uh, seven young people. Seven young people. How many? Seven. He asks them, how many people are you looking after? Do you know what they said? 20 million. 20 million. 20 million people you're looking after. 20 million people. He said, how old are they? They're all probably under the age of 30, most of them. But obviously there's a, there's, there are others. So he takes you into the church. He said, we went to prison. So he said, well, he said, I don't know, let me backtrack. He said, he's got the Bible and he opens up to 1 Peter and he sees this guy, pass his Bible around and there's only two of them with Bibles. So the other five haven't got Bibles. So they pass their word. He says, why are you passing your Bible around? He said, oh, it's easy. We've memorized most of the Bible. What? So we've memorized. Oh, in prison, you don't get a Bible. You might go years without a Bible. You've got to learn to feed off what you've remembered. Yeah. Wow. So they say to him, they're so, they're so encouraged by what he's, uh, you know, what he's preaching. He said, can you stay another day? He said, well, what about all these people? He said, don't worry about the people. They'll turn up tomorrow. He said, you can't. Some of these people have walked five days yeah. to come and listen to what you have to say. He said, I ended up speaking seven days constantly, 12 hours a day, to these group of people. And they've had to memorize whole portions of scripture because they never know when they're going to get another, fi- uh, another meal. That challenges me. Yeah. That challenges me to know God, to, to feed. If we take your Bibles away tomorrow, or if the government take our Bibles away tomorrow, how much word do you know? Seriously, guys, how much... How, how deep or how shallow is that cistern of yours? I mean, can you remember? They, they've memorized a whole portion of the New Testament. And what it does, what the part he's remembered and the part he's remembered, they'll quote it to each other. So that's how he gets to know the part he remembered. Yeah. And then he'll, he'll read it out to them. What's, and if they don't get it word for word, who cares? The point is, these are living wells. Living wells. They've learned how to store food in the winter of their soul. So they say to him, will you pray for us? The Chinese people say to this pastor, will you pray for us? And he says, pray for you. He says, why would you want me to pray for you? He said, we want to be like you. He went, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why would you want to be like me? He says, in my country, people won't sit and listen for 45 minutes. In my country, people won't sit on the floor for 12 hours a day and listen to people like me speak. In my country, Christians are not hungry. And they're not thirsty. But here, you're hungry and thirsty. You've not even, you let me stop for a drink. You didn't even have anything to eat in all the time I was preaching. 
In my country, we have air-conditioned buildings. He said, here, you're freezing. He says, I'm sorry, I cannot pray for you, but you can pray for me. He says, we ne- don't ever think that we are better than you. No, no, no. We need to be like you. If the church could just glimpse a little bit of what I'm seeing here today, then people would be shook, shaken, stirred, whatever terminology you want to use. We have got it so easy because we've got internet. And even the internet we don't use for the right things. We use it for other things. There's so many crimes against God, if I can use that word. That if we, because we don't know God, we don't develop him in our hearts. And we cannot feed on based on what God's given us. It's gone quiet in here this morning. Church, I don't say this to condemn us. What I do say is to waken us up. Because our level of drinking in the spirit and our level of hunger needs a serious, serious change. It needs a serious change. We've got God on the go. We've got the takeaway God. We've got the happy meal church. This is not what God died for. This is a, this is a million miles away from that New Testament church. What we have allowed church to become and what we've made it to become is not the New Testament. We've got a church in our own image. In our own nature. We've created a church that we want and we like and we think we need and we want God to bless. Come on. Everything about modern day church is for the people. It's not for God. God started the church the way he wanted it. Now he wants it the way he started it. That is God. Jesus said I'll build my church but he's not building every church. Why? Because not every church wants to continue what he started. So we've got to be very careful that when we talk about pursuing him, we talk about pursuing the one who created everything. The one who's got order. Is that the God you're willing to pursue? It's the God I'm going to pursue. It's the God I have been pursuing. Remember, write this down if you're smart. And if you haven't got a pen, remember it. You cannot... Hold, you cannot hold what you cannot carry. Yeah. You cannot hold what you cannot carry. Have you noticed that the, the, the shopping bags are getting, the plastic's getting thinner and thinner and thinner? Have you noticed that? So now they want you to buy a bag for life. Yeah? A bag for life. But most people don't want a bag for life. They just want a bag for that moment. And you see... How many bags people use when they go shopping? True? And, and the amount of weight that, the, that the, they put in a, in, a, in, a, in a bag, hoping that it'll make, they'll make it to the car. And you know you can feel the plastic starting to shake, can't you? You can feel it starting to bounce, and you know, this thing's going to give up in any minute now, so you run to the car quicker. We've already built in failure by that shopping bag. We just hope it'll get us from A to B. That's how we're going church. Just get a well for life. Don't get a well for a circumstance. 
for, a, for a, a trouble or a trial. Don't get a well. Don't just get food for that moment. Get food that for life. Get a drink for life. Hello? If you can't hold what God's given you, you're in trouble. Because what happens is, your life will be a groundhog day. It'll keep going round and round and round, and you'll come to the same point all the time. And wonder why you can never get past this point. Because you have no internal capacity to hold, to carry what God is giving you. How many meetings have we been in and they've been powerful? And we've stood there and we've just said, God, give it me. And it's going to change today. I'll never be the same. God says, really? And then the following week, the back there. Following two weeks later, you're back. Three weeks. And you you seem to keep coming back to the same place until something changes in you, nothing changes in you. Until something changes in you, then nothing changes in you. And you've got to come to that place, and I've got to come to that place of wanting, of getting fed up with the level you're at. Because the moment you keep living with this level, you'll always keep living with this level. Remember, nothing changes in you until something changes in you. Have you noticed, the older you become, the harder it is to retain water. True? The older you become, the harder it is to retain water. They say men go to the toilet through the night because of prostate problems. They can't retain the water. And I always used to say to Pat Loftus, don't cry so much, Pat. You can't afford to lose the water at your age. Because there's something about we hydrate, our body just, is hydrate the right word? Dehydrate, sorry. Dehydrate. And we've got to take on more water. More water, the older we become. In the spirit, exactly the same. You must keep on, you must keep drinking the water of the spirit. You must keep drinking the water of the word daily. Why? Because the older you become, you should have more water, not less. Because the older you become, you should be actually mature. You shouldn't have less water spiritually, the older you become. You should have more. The younger you are, your mind's full of so many different things that you don't stop to drink. You're busy. But the older you become, you should have a well supply flowing through you. So, ask yourself a question. Ask the person maybe at the side, what's your water level like? What's your water level like? And I'm not talking about the toilet now. What is your water level like? In order for this relationship with the Father to stay, remain a priority, you have to make some things a priority. You must go beyond fear, doubt and struggle. You must be able to move on beyond that. Because if your life is facing fear, doubt and struggle every day, then why would you want to continue? You must know how to put things to good use. You must know how to put things 
to use. Good things that God's given you. What are those good things? Well, I'm glad you asked. Matthew tells us. Matthew 16 says this. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. I will give you. Who's he giving them to? Me. Not us. Me. But you. Me. There is a corporate us. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of, of what? Heaven. So heaven is being given to you. Heaven is a key. Heaven is a key that God has given to you. Heaven. All that is in heaven must be brought down on earth. Yes? So God has given us heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, in other words, whatever you deal with down here, with what has been given to you, will excel and propel you and propel and excel the kingdom of God within you and around you. Does that make sense? And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So there's a consequence for how you use these keys. Are you with me so far? And I tell you that you are, put your name in there. So this is Jesus Christ having a conversation with you. He was talking to Peter in this context. But here he is. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. In other words, I'm going to build it on people like you who can drink. People who know the word. People who I can put the word in. People who I can entrust the keys to. People like you, Peter, knowing that Peter would fail. He was putting him into a person who would fail. But listen, Peter was not a failure. Peter was a person who failed, but Peter was not a failure. There's a big difference. So he wasn't giving them to nobody. He was giving them to somebody. Somebody like you and me who fails. I don't know about you, but I've got a whole list of failures. Talk to my wife and my kids. But he wasn't putting them in the hands of a failure. So here we go. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. Now these are docking big keys. These are a good set of keys. And I'm going to give you these keys. So the question is, what would you do if I give you these keys, Phil? What was the first thing you say to me? Exactly. What purpose do we need these for? Well, I've just told you, for unlocking and loosing. Well, what am I going to unlock and loose? I'm going to say, follow me. And I'll show you. Let me show you the doors that you have to walk through. And you're going to need keys. And guess what? It's not just coming to church. You're going to need, because there's no devil in here right now attacking you. Right? So I'm going to give you keys and you're going to have to know how to use these keys. Because if you're going to put the wrong key in the wrong door and you're going to play around with it, that could be two years of your life. Think of it like that. If every key was, was, uh, was symbolic of a couple of years of your life, man, your life is fast forwarding until you find the right key. Now he says, I'm going to give you keys. So he didn't say how many keys, he just told you keys. It's up to you to search out how many keys are needed in the kingdom. There are many keys in the kingdom. And I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. In other words, there's one kingdom that I've already got the key for and I've locked it. Now I'm giving you to make sure that it doesn't invade you. You getting this? 
and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It sounds wonderful. It sounds grandos. It sounds glorious. But what keys do I need? There is a key to unlocking the well inside of you. There is a key. So I'm talking to you about a key this morning. I'm talking to you about keys, not a key. Keys. Now, in, if we talk about it in the plural, we know there are many singular. Yes? So there's a key to loving my wife. There's a key to forgiving and keeping relationships at primary in your life. So I need to know what keys open what doors and lock doors. True? But these are a good set of keys, would you not? Now I said to the kids this morning, which key would you choose? So they all went for the big one. So I said, why would you pick the big one? Well, thinking that what's li- what lies behind the big door must be more valuable than what opens on a small one. No. No. This is just for show. But the point is, God didn't describe to you how big or how small the keys were, just the keys. It's up to you to decide how important. Listen, the time that you receive a key and what you're going through in life will decide how big the key is. True? If I need a financial breakthrough and I'm struggling and struggling and struggling and then God puts an idea into my heart, it didn't matter how big that key was. It was the key you needed. So what was the most important key you ever needed? The one you needed at the time. People say to me, what's the, what's the best book you've ever, re- uh, you've ever uh, read? Now, there's two smart answers for this. The one I wrote. And the one I needed at the time when I read it. Keys. Everyone say keys. Keys. But the older you become, you lose water. Physically. But spiritually, you should have more water to share with others. So, you know, when Peter was, or excuse me, when this statement was made, Jesus was having an encounter with his disciples because the crowds were saying all kinds of things. There was dialogue as to who Jesus was because Israel expected Jesus to come, but they expected um, Elijah to announce him. So when John the Baptist came, some says, are you Elijah? Yeah. No, what the scripture was saying is, John would come in the spirit of Elijah. Yeah. They heard the word Elijah. Yeah. They forgot the power of Elijah, the spirit of Elijah. They were looking for the man Elijah. So when John's pointing to Jesus, they're expecting Elijah to come. Yeah. So there's all kinds of dialogue and confusion and there's colliding waves in the air. Right now, we've just had a general election. This is why you have to pray for your nation. Because now we've got two ends of the dog. We've got two ends of the dog. What is the lesson we learn? We were talking about it last night. The lesson is when you've got power, don't surrender it. The point is this. At some point, you and I are going to have to bring an end to your confusion and speculation as to who Jesus is, where he's taking you, and what he wants to do with you. 
at some point, if you're going to receive these keys, you are going to have to bring an end to some crazy stuff in your head. You're going to have to stop wrestling with some issues and surrender to some. You're going to have to stop doubting, fearing, God, where are you leading me? I need to know before you lead me. No, that's why it's called faith. He says, follow me. What part do I have to tell you which direction I'm going in? I don't have to tell you what direction I'm following. All I have to ask you is, follow me. The rest is up to you. Well, Jesus, you need to tell me how long I'll be gone. Forever. You imagine that's you and I today. We want to know the ins and outs of everything. What time will it be about? What do I tell my wife? What time do I... Just follow me and we'll work it out en route. But no, we want to know everything. But that's not faith. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. So, you've got to bring an end to some of this stuff in your head. Why? Because that is a key. So, if I say to Phil, Phil, today, give me your heart. I'm going to put this key inside his heart. I'm going to turn it, and he gets a revelation that just let go. Trust God. Now, as the word came to him, it came to him as a key. It slotted into his heart. There was no resistance here. The key could just turn. As the key just turned, his heart began to open, and he let go of what he'd been struggling with for many years. All God did was send the word. The key came in. But when God sends a key, very often, because we're struggling, this speculation, who do you say I am? Who do you say, you know, which church you go to? Da-da-da, da-da, all the nonsensical earthly stuff. God's key struggled, and he can't put it in the lock and turn it. Why? Because he's met with resistance. The key was given. The issue was not the key given. The key could not find its lock. Because it keeps finding resistance. Church, how many times have we stood here and we talk about, uh, you know, your faith needs to work. Come on, be honest with me. How many times have we talked about that? And yet still many of us have not found our reason for being here on planet Earth. We've put seed after seed after seed after seed after seed. And some of you still struggle. You still don't have the key to use what you've got. So we train. We pray. We prophesy. We try and practice. We're giving keys. But the keys have nowhere to land. They're met with resistant locks. But these keys are for opening and for setting people free. These keys are meant for binding and loosening. These keys are multifunctional. But it's up to you and I to discover what these keys are about. Amen? Amen. So this morning, hopefully through what I'm talking about, if you've got a stubborn lock in there, let me me spray some Holy Ghost 40 in there. Not WD 40. Let me spray some lubricant inside your lock this morning. And let me put this key in there. And let me call change. And let God put this key into your heart and turn it and just barely lift the latch a little bit. And then 
you test, you always push your door a wee bit, don't you? To see if this is the right key. And so have you noticed sometimes the key feels the right key, but the lock's saying, nah, it's not the right key. It's just a well-worn lock. Oh, there's a camp. I could camp right there, just on a well-worn lock. Some of you have allowed so many people to put their words inside your life that you don't know the right key from the wrong key. You've just become a well-worn lock. But sometimes, when you've got a well-worn lock, it's not that easy to say, you know, these are my own teeth. You sometimes, you have to go, get, you know, you have to go and get the, lock, uh, the, the, the key recut. And other locks, you have to go and shape. You can't do that with the kingdom. The kingdom's a perfect fit. The issue is not the key, my friend. The issue is the lock. The lock of your heart is the key. I'm using the word key interchangeably. Does that make sense? I said I had something to say this morning. And I'm not lying. So, follow me, Will. Follow me, if you will, with the, the thread of the key. We're not going to get through this morning, but it's okay. I have far more word than you have patience. Follow me with the thread, if you will. When reading the, two, when reading the above scriptures of Matthew, the key and keys is mentioned, is it not? So we must make keys the primary focus. If God is trying to give us the keys to the kingdom, he's trying to give us keys to unlock things and release things into our lives. And one of the keys is to release more of him. Look, listen to me, don't look at the screen. By listening to me, you listen to the voice coming out of me. By listening to that, you're hearing, but you're not listening. That's my fault for using too many PowerPoints. The keys are a metaphor or for principles and patterns. Keys are a metaphor. Keys are a metaphor for principles and patterns. So when God talks to us about giving us keys, he's given us principles and patterns to understand him and his word and how his kingdom functions in your life and on the earth. Okay, so first and foremost, you must see keys as principles and patterns that God wants you to know and what God wants you to operate in because without the principle, it's dangerous. We must understand the principle of so many things. There's a principle behind inertia, a force that cannot be moved. A force greater has to move it. Impetus, then momentum. Okay, there's, there's a principle behind electricity. There's a principle behind everything. Every, for everything we taught in science, there's a principle. For everything in life, there's a pattern. There's a pattern for family. There's a pattern for righteousness. There's a pattern for, for financial security. There's a pattern and principle for everything in life. You must find it out. Yes? So that's the first thing we need to understand. When Jesus is giving Peter keys and you keys, he's saying, son... There are principles and patterns that I want you to know. And I cannot violate these principles or patterns. God will not violate his principle, irrespective of how emotional you feel. God won't lie. 
God, just don't tell me, mum. God can't lie for you. Why? Because that would actually undo his own nature. God is not a liar. Our kids want us to backtrack on our values, but it's who we are. It's who we are. But our kids want us to change for that moment, for their circumstance. I'm sorry, no. I'm not backing down. Why? Because it's a principle and a pattern that's kept me well. I would rather, I would rather offend you than offend God. Well, I'll lose Johnny. No, I'd rather, you know what, I don't want to lose neither. I don't want to lose neither. I want a key to save whatever's going on here. However, but if worst case scenario, I can't turn me back on God. Because he's the one who will arrest my soul. He's the one I've got to talk to every day. (coughs) Number two. Keys are useful for opening and for locking doors. Surprise, surprise. But... Keys, (coughs) spiritually speaking, unlock spiritual doors and lock spiritual doors. Doors that lead to pathways, highways, pathways and highways. Where's my juice? Doors that open spiritual things. Did Jesus say he was a door? So when you step in into the portal, that's Jesus Christ, you step into a multi, multi, infinitesimal, if that's such a word, dimension that has no limits. But you need a key to step into him. True? So when you step into Christ, you're on a journey. Remaining in Christ is the key. Remaining in Christ is the key. So keys are useful. So the right, how many of you know, the right words and the wrong words are key. Just as the right word does a lot of good, the wrong word can do a lot of bad. How many of you know that in a conversation, one word can cause somebody to come at you with, with no holds bar. Just one word. Because words are triggers. Words are triggers. Words are keys that unlock people's emotions. Keys are words, sorry, words are keys that unlock people's thinking. One word can set off a, a chain of thinking that can lead to a fantastic adventure. Yes? That's why we're told to choose our words carefully. So when you're talking to God, how many times do you make false promises? How many times do you make wrong vows? God, if you do this, I promise I'll surrender and I'll go wherever you want. So God does it. And then you say, God, I'm busy, can't you see? (coughs) God knows. God knows. That's why the Bible says, be careful before you make a vow. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Why? Because it's almost like God's listening to your prayer and he's saying, shh, shut up. You're going to get yourself in trouble if you keep speaking to me like that. Why? Because you're making promises 
I know you can't keep. But you mean it on the earth, don't you? But it's going to get you in trouble. Because God's going to have to cash the check one day. I walked out of here and said I would never come back in here again. That was the wrong word to have used. I will never. Look at me now. But I walked out of that door and said I'll never come back in this church again. God went, shut up Tony, shut up. Because me the Father and the Holy Ghost, no, that's not the case. So Revelation 1.18 says, I am the living one. In other words, is the key. He says, I was dead and behold, I'm alive forever. And I hold the key of death and Hades. So Jesus is the key, is the door. Aren't you glad you know the key and the door? So, let me go back to... What are keys? So, words are keys. How many of you know keys are people? People are keys. Hopefully this morning, I'm looking at a bunch of key people. What makes us key? We are potentially nation changers. Potentially, we are nation changers. But God looks at people as key. God uses people. And people are vessels. But if your vessel's cracked, you can't be a key person. Come on. Come on, let God squirt some of that WD-40 inside you. As we see in above, in above screen there, 1 Kings 17, 1, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there'll be neither dew nor rain the next few years except by my word. Elijah was a key person, and with word, the right words in his mouth, the person and the word became a powerful key. Now, here's, here's the thing. You may not believe this. God's word in your mouth is just as powerful as God's word in his mouth. Do you all believe that? So why don't you use it? If that is the case... What? God's word in my mouth is just as powerful as God's word in his mouth. Absolutely. He gave it you as a key. So whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever's loose, he gave it you. So it's just as powerful in your mouth as it is in his mouth. But you've got to use it in faith. Can you imagine the God of this universe has given you his word? The very word that was settled in the heavens. Wow. Above all else, it says, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. That's Proverbs 4.23. So he's saying what comes out your mouth is a key. Because it can pollute a whole landscape. It can pollute a whole family. It can destroy your children's lives. But at the same time, it can bless your children's lives. It can water a whole landscape. All God needs is one man, one woman in the right place at the right time with the right words and they'll get the right results. That's all it needs. One person. The woman said in Matthew 9.21, she said to herself, so stop there for a minute, she had a conversation with herself. 
So she brought an end to confusion, doubt, fear. She had a condition, but after she heard and after she saw and she observed, she concluded inside her and she brought an end to the speculation in her own mind. What happens? It's not good for a woman to fall at the feet of this man. I'm going to look a right numpty. Come on. Socially, culturally, whatever you want. It's not good. This woman's thrown herself at his feet. But so she's thinking, what happens if it doesn't work? But she brought an end to the speculation in her own mind, just like when Jesus was talking to the disciples and he knew the speculation. He said, who do you say that I am? Let's sort this out once and for all. Let's bring an end to the speculation. Am I Elijah? Am I Jeremiah? Am I the Christ? Am I just a prophet? Who am I? What do you say? And now this woman's having a very similar situation. What do we do? She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I'm going to be healed. I will be healed. Yes? Jesus turned to her and saw her. Take heart, daughter. He said, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. Why? Because she took the word as a key. This guy can do the same for me. It was a key that God released into her thinking. And she pursued him. Is anybody listening this morning? She pursued him and she got what her faith rewarded her. That's just her faith rewarded her for what she thought and what she concluded. She had the key. She had the key and it was in her thinking. The key was, I can, lock, I can turn it and lock it and keep myself in containment and keep myself in sickness or I can let this thought turn and bring me into an action. So how desperate are you to get a release? Come on. Words create spiritual rain. Words Create spiritual, I put that wrong, on it? Words, ah, there it is. Our words spiritually create and cause heavenly rain to fall. It falls in order to supply and to sustain you spiritually, internally. Let me say that again. Our words spiritually create and cause heavenly rain to fall. Because your pursuit of Christ is going to be done through words and through actions. Without words, you will not pursue God. Have you noticed when you pursue somebody you fancy, you have to use words at some point. Hey, good looking, what are you doing in a place like this? Maybe not the best kind of words to use, but you're going to have to use some kind of words. You're going to have to use some kind of chat line to start the dialogue. Now, I'm not saying we have a chat up line. God doesn't need chatting up. But there has to be some dialogue, and those di- that dialogue creates heavenly rain. You get this? This is why when we pray collectively, there's power. Now, here we are, living in a city that rains, but here we are praying for rain. Right? So we're not praying for that kind of physical rain. We're praying for spiritual rain to fall, and as it falls, it fills up our well. Yeah? You getting this? How words create and cause heavenly rain to fall. It falls in order to supply, to supply, to nourish, and to sustain. 
Supply and sustain. Supply and sustain. You getting this? You need keys. And Jesus has already told us he's given them us. But we act like we're still looking for the keys. There's nothing worse than looking for your keys. You can't find your keys. Your whole movement is halted because you cannot find your keys. So what you do now, you whistle. And you have that. And then it goes. Your mobile phone can't find your keys. They haven't written an app for that. You have to. It's your memory that puts your keys down and remembers where they are. Have they got an app for that? They have. Okay, they have. You just haven't discovered it. Apparently there is an app for finding your keys. What happens if you can't get a signal? Can't find your phone, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? There's a reason why God gave you a mind and a memory, a capacity. Yeah, but was that song that the, the guy from Mossai wrote about me wallet, me watch, me keys, and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, where's my keys, where's my phone? I forget the phone, I don't worry about the phone, but I need the keys. Every one of us has a key on them right now. Every one of us has a key to their house or a car. Every one of them has a key to get into work, whether it's a digital one or it's a physical one. We're all familiar with keys, but when it comes to the church, we leave home without them. God wants you to have keys. The key to the well, to unlocking the well, is in your mouth. Elijah said, spoke to the heavens and said, by my word, by the word that God's put inside me, there shall be neither neither dew nor rain, by the sound of my voice. He he learned, he had this connection, he just knew that if he spoke, the heaven would respond That's what Jesus said he's going to give to you. How do you bind and loose without speaking to spiritual powers? Come on. Our our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, rulers, powers in 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 the heavenly realm. It's a spiritual voice you need. It's your words, your own words, your own words, your own dialogue inside that causes your system to leak. I'm no good. I'll never be able to do that. Well, you know, I was hurt. My father abused me. All all these can be real. But guess what? It's living inside of you. It's your system that you leak. It's cracked. Why? Because it's coming. The power's coming from within. The strongest voice you'll ever hear is the one that comes from within inside of you. Because it has the power to arrest you and defeat you and contain you. But when Jesus can put his word inside you and can turn the key of your heart, faith is released. I can do all things through Christ. That's a different line. I'll never be like this. I'll never do that. I'll never do this. I'll never do that. But I can through all things I can do. I'm an overcomer. Now which language do you want to use? One's a key of destruction. One's a key of life. So it's all wrapped up inside your head. True? Knowledge is a key. Knowledge is a key. For those who, who uh, turned, uh, sorry, let me phrase it. For those who attended, that's the word, attended uh, Thursday, authentic. Listen, and uh, I've been attending these last couple of authentics, what Phil's been talking about. He's been talking about some real powerful, deep stuff. 
And in that, there's knowledge and there's, and there's revelation. There's keys there. Because if you know God at that level of what he's talking about, you become unstoppable, unmovable. You come deep. And out of you will flow rivers of living water. If you can know and interact God. See, knowledge about God is helpful. But knowledge about the one you know is far greater. Some people are happy to learn about the one they've heard about and have met. But there's a knowledge and a depth that God wants you to have through you knowing him personally. No Bible college, no institution, no program written, no book can give you that. There is something that must come to you by revelation. That's a key. That's a key. God gave me a very, very powerful illustration this week. I was praying and I said to Phil, it was a unique moment because I'm reading some notes and these words come into my spirit and I start praying them and I was sincere in my prayer and I started praying. And then in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, I've just read this. So now I'm going to pray about it. But when I looked down on my notes, those words were not there. So God had put something into my spirit that through reading this, God had opened up my heart, put this image in my mind, this principle I'm going to share with you now. And when I went back to that, they weren't there. So I knew God was speaking to me. Aha! I'm having a aha moment. God is speaking. Did I hear a voice? No, I just sensed something on the inside. It's a key. So I just spent the rest of the day with the key. You know, there's many, many, many keys. And I'm sure we'll, we'll get to them. But let me just share this, this uh, illustration because I think it's going to help you. If I... Where's my keys gone? Okay. Now let's do a bit of catchphrase. Anybody seen catchphrase? An image comes on the screen and you've got to say what you see. Everybody there? What do you see? You failed already. You failed already. See, I look smart because God showed me. Let me show again. What do you see? All right, I'll just stand like this then. What do you see? A man with a key. Not just keys. Some people saw the keys. Someone saw the man with the keys. Right. So... Let me show you again. What do you see now? What do you see now? <laughs> you see a man with a key opening the door. So between the key is a man. Between the key is a door. You see that? So when God gives you a key, he needs a man behind the key. He needs a man behind the key. Because, now listen, here's the point. Not just a man behind the key. What does the man with the key do? Uses it. Well, okay, yeah, I'll give you the point for that one, Jules. Not bad. Keep trying. Come on, give me a bit more. What does the man do with a key? He unlocks it. Okay, I'll give you another point for that. Well done. What else does he do? He uses it, okay. But what is the man doing with the key? No. He's using it. Be a bit more expressive. He's guiding the key towards the lock. He's holding the key. He's sustaining it. He's got strength. He's got power. He's got direction. He can guide it. 
When God gives you the key, you and him together must hold the key and he guides you. But you must let him guide you. If he's not got hold of your life, what are you going to do with those keys? You know what I mean? I haven't got the strength to turn some of those locks. God and you must be one. So that there is strength and there is power and there is substance. He's the one guiding you. He's the one with his hands around you. And he's the one that can have the power to turn or lock, uh, sorry, loose and bind. Loose and bind. If he's not in your life and got his hands on your life, those keys are going to be no, they're not going to be powerful for you. But you and Christ together could unlock, bind, and loose. What we want to do is we want principles, and the moment we get a principle that's worked, we say, I don't need you. The moment we get a bit of success, the moment we get a little bit of success in life, a little bit of blessing, we ditch the one who brought it us. And we try and run with the keys rather than the key maker. Come on. It's not enough to have keys. Keys on its own. See, if you read that scripture, Matthew, that's only one scripture. You can't build a whole doctrine on just one scripture. Christ must, you must be in Christ and Christ must be in you. Christ must be, Christ's voice must be speaking to you. So when God showed me this illustration this week, it's like, who's behind you, Tony? Who's holding you? Well, you are. Right. So all I need to, can I guide you now then? Can I guide that word that's in your mouth? Can I let, can I point you in the direction and speak that word and open certain doors and pathways in the spirit? Take me, Lord. He said, because you're trying to undo doors without me. This is so powerful. Oh, the marching bands outside. Guys, to unlock this well inside of you, you're going to need the one to guide you to streams of living water. If you can't find water, he's the one who's going to guide you and bring you by still waters. You see this? Your relationship with Christ has to be so connected because what is the point? If you're not connected, the keys will not have any significance in your life. Christ is the door. He's the key. Behold, I have the keys to life and death. So if he's got the keys to life and death, then so how much more must you and him partner? Wisdom is a key. Let the wise, it says in Proverbs, let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the wise listen. Not only hear, listen and add to their learning. Insight is a key. How many of you need insight today? How many have got insight from what I'm saying this morning? You need insight. Insight gives you the ability to conclude accurately. It gives you the ability to conclude accurately. We're coming to land now. Faith is a key. Faith, without faith, it is what? Impossible 
to please God. People use faith to get things from God. Why not use faith to please God? Please God. Another one. Money, goods and commodities are keys. You know why it's a key? Because it will reveal whether you are a steward or you're an owner. If I've got £10 and God says give it away, and I don't give it away, what have I become? The owner. If I say, Lord, I've got £10, how do you want to use it? Now I'm being a steward. Many of us are owners, not stewards. If you want to see and get a key, one of the keys to financial prosperity, spiritually speaking, is you must become the steward, not the owner. Because the moment you become the owner, God has to ask for your permission. But the moment you're a steward, you are the servant and you're the postman to where that money needs to go. Now that will reveal between the steward and the owner is your heart. And many of us are owners when we should become stewards. So en route to becoming a steward, you'll you'll end up giving a lot away. But you'll focus on what you're giving away as opposed to just leaving the results to God. For me to give 10 away and get 20 back, that's wrong. If that's my motive, spiritually. Why don't I just give, you know, I just wish for some, for some people just to take up an offering and put no strings attached. So many people are taking offerings and, and then they have to give them that spiel. If you give 10, you'll get a hundredfold back. And, oh, I'll have that, that's good odds that is. Why can't we just take up an offering and say, God needs some money. We've got a project. Can we just do this? Yeah. And people, without promising the people they're going to get anything back, why can't we have a no frills offering? Yeah. If I've got to give because I'm going to get something back, I'm the owner all the time. Yeah. It's true. It's true. With a key, there's a door. With a key, with a door, there's a key. And with a key and a door, it needs a person to hold the key. Behold, I have the words of life and death. That's the key. Now, if your, hand, if your life is in the hands of the key maker, then you become a key in the maker's hands. Is that too deep this morning? Now, here's a key. The reason why you need this living water, many reasons, we'll talk about this, not today, but I just want to start this journey of pursuing God. Demonic spirits attack people, but they attack dry people. Dry people. Spirits do not dry, spirits, demonic activity you don't find many demonic, much demonic activity around running waters. What do we mean by this? Spiritually speaking, the Bible says the spirits look for dry, arid places. What does that mean? It looks for lives that are dry, who have no running water of the Word and of the Holy Spirit and have no righteous acts running through them. Okay, 
So if we have people who are dry, cracked, broken cisterns, somewhere down the line, we open up our hearts to demonic attack. But where there is a life flowing and a river flowing inside a Christian's mouth, life, and actions, you will have the power to bind spirits. Spirits won't be an issue to you. Following Christ is a bigger issue. Okay? Fight, walking with Christ is a bigger issue than fighting spirits. But if you walk with Christ, the river's always flowing. You're following the river. You're following the flow. Can you see this? Have you noticed every encounter Jesus had with demonic spirits was not a big issue? Never a big issue. The demonic gathering. Did Jesus run? No. He just faced it, shot, brought that Goliath down. Why? Because the water flowing in him was greater than this guy. This guy doesn't like streams of living water. This guy likes dry, arid people. So many Christians are in trouble. So many Christians are fighting internal struggles. I'm blaming the, the, the devil for a lot of things when half of the time, it's just you. That poor boy, the devil, gets a lot of stick. Now, I'm never going to support him in anything he does. He's a loser from the beginning and he's a liar from the beginning. But he's not responsible for everything. And he's not responsible for you and for me acting like a, a muppet. That's your responsibility and mine. So, who do people say I am? Let me ask you a question this morning. And with this, we're finished. Who do people say I am was a question? Was it not? We read that in Matthew. Who do people say that I am? Another question. What about you? What about you? So the first question comes, who do people say that I am? It's not that Jesus needed information. He knew what they were saying and he knew who he is. But now he flips it back onto you because the key was the question. Questions are keys. Questions are keys. Remember this. What are you going to talk about the Lord? What are you going to talk to and what are you going to talk about this week before the Lord? You need to ask him some questions. And your response is a key. The question will unlock a response. Who do you say that I am? Question. You are... What did he say? You are the Christ. So it was the right response to the right question. What did that unlock in him? It unlocked everything. It unlocked the revelation of Christ. It unlocked the keys. It unlocked everything. Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. So Peter's showing him he's got a direct connection now with heaven. So when Jesus says, follow me, what are you going to respond? Your response is a key. You look at all the questions in the Bible. Have a look at them. Find out what the response should be. The wrong response gets you in trouble. The right response gets you into blessing. And God is going to ask you certain questions this week and subsequent weeks. He's going to ask you, and you need the right response. So don't be quick to go, Lord, I love you. I'll go anywhere with. I'll go anywhere, Lord. Shh. Think before you stink.
Think. Okay, Lord. Now don't say to the Lord, I'll get back to you. That's not what he's after. So he said to Peter, what was a good question he asked Peter? Peter, do you love me? Now, that is a very, very leading question. Peter, do you love me? So Dream Center, let me just be Jesus for one minute. Do you love me? Now, what is your response going to be to that leading question? Because Jesus asked him three times. Cleansed every back. When he said, I denied me three times, now he's asked him three times and cleared it all off. For every time he denied him, it's like cleansed, cleansed, cleansed. So he's going to ask you, who do you love me? Yes, Lord. I love you. Okay, your response will determine whether you can go to the next stage. So let's stand to our feet, if we will, please, to show you I'm not lying, I'm finished. I was already stood. Do you love me? Is the question, the primary question. Do you love me? What about you? Do you want to leave me too? There's another question he asked. When they were dialoguing who, was to, who he was, when John, John the Baptist's uh, disciples came and they could see that what John was doing and what Jesus was doing, some of them said, Jesus said, do you want to leave me too? Do you want to leave me? Do you want to leave me? So, do you love me? Or do you want to leave me? Because if you don't love him, you've left him. Guess what? If Carol doesn't love me, she leaves me. I don't want her to live with me, not loving me. Come on. Most couples who don't love each other end up leaving each other. Yes? Because there's no love in her heart for me. She does love me. She better add. Do you love Jesus? Because if you don't, you'll leave him. He won't leave you, but you'll leave him. So there's a question here that demands a response this morning. The next one was, sir, give me a drink. That one question that woman asked, sir, give me a drink. Opened up a whole dialogue between Jesus and the woman at the well. Do you love me? Will you leave me? If you love me, here's a question, if John loves me, and John's going to have to tell me in his own words why he loves me. And then the next question is, give me a drink so I can love you even more, so I can know you even more. Because I'm not happy at the level of love. I want to go deeper. I know Carol loves me. But I'm, that's not enough for me to, to, to go to the place called finish with Carol. Why? Because we're going cre- to keep creating deeper love. I want more excitement. I want more adventure. I want more dialogue with this woman. 35 years this year, right? I want more dialogue. I want more interaction with this woman. It's not enough just to know that she loves me. Why? Because we want to see it in action. 
We want to see it come alive. So do you love me, Peter? What did he say? Then feed my sheep. Because in the feeding of the sheep, he showed Jesus the depth of his love. So what are you prepared to do and to say this morning to the one who asked you that question, do you love me? Come on, just close our eyes, if you will, just for a minute. Just contemplate. Jesus stood before you asking this question because he is. This is the very question he's asking us this morning as a church. You as an individual must respond to this question because no response is a response. We got your response. Well, I didn't respond. No, you did. You responded by not responding. There's no way out of this. You've got to respond verbally because if you don't respond, you've responded. So do you love me? Do you love me is the question that God is asking us this morning. Because don't forget, we're on the pursuit. I can't pursue him if I don't love him. It's the primary question, do you love me? You've got to be able to answer that question this week and you've got to be able to go before the Lord and say, God, this is why I love you. You've got to find language this week to tell him. Do you hear me, church? In the busyness of your week, I tell you, you must find a place this week today. Do it, Settle it today. Settle it today. Tell him why you love him. And then God's going to say, well, then he's going to give you an action Well, then prove it to me. Show me by whatever God says to you next is what he says to you. He told Peter, feed my sheep. Ask God for a drink. Ask God for a fresh drink. I've been asking God all week for a fresh drink. Give me a fresh drink, Lord. Come on, let's raise all those holy hands this morning. Just dialogue with him right now. Just tell him. But this week, I want, you, I want to encourage every one of you to find a place today, tonight, before the, before the 12 o'clock tonight. Find a place and say, Lord, this is why I love you. You're dear to my heart, Lord. I love you. Increase my love for you, Lord. I don't want to not know you, Lord. I want to love you. I want to be, ta- I want to be captured by you, Lord. You're the gate. You're the key. You're the door. Father, I want my life to be in your hands. I want the key. The key maker to hold my life, to guide me, to steer me. I want you, oh God, to put those keys into a lock, Lord. I want me and you together, oh God. Oh, Father. Oh, mighty God, mighty God, mighty God. You know, the last couple of weeks we've seen our city express its heart towards those people who were senselessly butchered and killed. And we saw a whole city rise. And we've seen flowers, we've, seen, we've heard gestures, we've seen cards written, we've seen all kinds of action demonstrating the love for our city and for those who lost their lives. People came out in the thousands. 
there was a demonstration, there was an action. You call it one of love, call it one of defiance, call it one of solidarity, whatever name you want to use affixed to that. The point is people rose. They showed by their actions what they felt inside. There was a manifestation on the outside. It's not enough for me to say I love my city. I must serve my city if I love it. Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave. There was a demonstration, an action of his love for that which he died for. Through Christ, through the cross. It's not enough saying to Jesus you love him. Peter had to go and feed his sheep. You have to go and do something with what you respond. I can love a football team. I can love many things from a distance. Many people say they love their football team and never go and watch them. So they never invest. They watch it from the armchair of their home. And then put many reasons why they can't go, why they won't go, why they shouldn't go. All them are reasons, excuses. Their manifestations, their actions. Meaning their words are hollow. Because there's no action behind the words. But they say they love. And that word love is so easily used. Oh, I love our church. What do you love about our church? Oh, I just love, I love the, I love the people. I love the way, way, way uh, with the Sunday mornings. I love it. But you never serve the people. You never give your life for the people. You never give your life for the work of the Lord. But you love your church. It's not your church. It's his church. Because be very careful that you don't love something that you've made in your image and in your likeness. You must love what he's, what he, his pattern. Oh, I love this place. I love this group. I love that. The words that have no actions. God is asking for an action from us. Don't love your church. Love the people in it. And show it them. Show it them. Be sincere. Be devout. Be righteous. So Father, right now, I'm asking you, O oh God, to keep our hearts sober. Before this day is over, Lord, Father, that there will be a time when people get on their knees, Lord, and dialogue with you and tell you why they love you. And Father, you will respond to them. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. You can't follow me and then do your own thing tomorrow. Following Christ is laying your life down for him. So when he asks you, do you love me? You better have a good reason why you love him. Sentiment will not hold that. So Father, today, let there be soberness across this place. Oh, Father, you're putting us under the microscope. You're bringing us to a new place. We thank you, Father, Lord, that you've given us keys. You are the key maker. You are the key supplier. Lord, we thank you that you want to lead us to rivers of living water. Father, you want to take us to the well and you want, us to, you want to see the, that water rise in every one of us. You want us to, to use and harness and utilize everything that you've given to us for life and godliness. You want us to step into the flow.
So Father, we want that. I want that. But I can only speak for myself. Me and my household will serve the Lord. So Father, I stand here as one. Lord, saying, Lord, I love you. Take my life, Lord. Continue to astound me. Lord, I pray, oh God, that my love for you will become purer and purer and more and more sincere as each day goes by. Lord, I know you're cleaning me up. I know you're, you're doing a great work in my life. Father, I pray, oh God, perfect me and bring me to the place, Lord, of complete finish. Father, I stand with the work that you're doing inside of me. And I say, Father, you've, it is a good work that you've started. Lord, and I'm bound to walk with you to the place called finish. Father, I love you to the place called finish. That is my, that is my, uh, my declaration to you this morning. Take me to the place called finish. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you.